Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. I have been an official election observer, including actually the chief British and EU election observer at many a third world election. But I can't say that I have ever seen the kind of shambles that took place in the early hours in Arizona and is still taking place yet again in Arizona. First of all, at nine o'clock in the morning on polling day yesterday, uh, the ink ran out in the printing machines, which either is the result of very bad planning and logistics or is evidence of something more sinister. That most populous of Arizona's polling districts, including Phoenix, Arizona, one of my favorite cities, was out of action for three hours on election day. Nobody could vote on the machines for three whole hours on polling day in Arizona, in Phoenix, Arizona, not in Mozambique or in uh, uh, Myanmar, Not in Cambodia, but in the United States of America, in one of the richer states of the United States of America. And when the Republicans went to the court to ask that the polling be extended by three hours to make up for the three hours that was lost, the judge threw the case out. I'm not making any of that up. But it's not only the shambles of Huge numbers of ballot papers discarded, being found. Huge numbers of late ballot papers being delivered. Huge numbers of early ballot papers, which oddly are the latest to be counted and have not even yet been counted. It's the fact that 24 hours on in this massive 300 million democracy that no one knows who won. We can say that there definitely are losers. The leader of the Democratic Party himself lost his seat, the first man to do so in that position for more than 40 years. We know that the Wizard of Oz, Trump's creation, uh, standing against a stroke victim, who almost died just a few months ago, who now cannot speak, was roundly defeated. We know, of course, that all kinds of Senate and even House races are still too close to call. But why are they still too close to call? Where are the results? I've been checking roughly every five minutes for updated results from the United States, and I at least cannot find them. I could give you 10 subjects that I would have to plow through on the trending list 
to find out who won the American elections. Luckily, we have three experts. Chris Hedges, who in a sane America would be the Secretary of State instead of blinking Blinken, or might even be the President rather than in his dotage Joe Biden, who possibly doesn't even know yet how the election went. Though he did have time to phone the first Gen X member of the United States Congress, a 25-year-old by the name of Frost, who was elected in sunny Florida. But only after he had ditched his fanatical support for the Palestinian cause to do a complete 180 and end up funded by the pro-Israel lobby, age 25, already bought and purchased. That's how it works in America. The stroke victim, too, is a big supporter of the state of Israel. So no reinforcement for the poor Palestinians in the U.S. midterm elections. We know that Ron DeSantis and the Republican Party in Florida had a smashing victory. By more than almost 20 points, DeSantis crushed his Democratic challenger. And if it wasn't for his somewhat reedy voice, the picture of him as a young thrusting governor with a beautiful young wife and three beautiful young children, he'd be the identicate candidate that you would look for to run for the Republicans in the elections in 24. After all, he is the undisputed king, or is he, of the state of Florida. And Florida used to be a swing state, though now it is a red fortress. There's another guy that caught my eye, J.D. Vance, a novelist in, uh, in the north of the country, the author of the Hillbilly Trilogy. He seems like a likely lad. That wouldn't half be a magic ticket, DeSantis and J.D. Vance. I think that they might win, Ohio being itself formerly a swing state. But I'm getting ahead of myself because Trump isn't over yet. If the Republicans, as I predict they will, end up controlling two out of three of the seats of power in the United States, the House and the Senate, albeit perhaps after a runoff in the state of Georgia again for the second time in a, in a row, then Trump will say, well, it was me what done it. For all the propaganda that's been flying around, the Republicans will have won a significant victory, albeit not by as big a margin as the pro-Democrat media predicted that they would with news management skills to make Alistair Campbell and Tony Blair blush. They now claim that losing both the House and the Senate by just a small number would be something of a triumph for Biden in his dotage. I don't think that Trump is finished, and we've got a poll on it tonight. Will Donald Trump be U.S. president in 2024? Though I've got to tell you, Donald, I know you're a regular viewer, is not that great for you. The last time I looked, you were still ahead, but... 
only very narrowly. It might well be that the torch has passed and to your own government. Now, in a statement made by, or at least attributed to Trump yesterday, I haven't actually seen his lips move and heard him say it, he says that DeSantis better not run in 2024, or he'll be telling us all things that he, and only he, except perhaps his wife, he darkly added, could tell you. Now, given that that's a kind of mafia statement, that might be just par for the course on Donald Trump's game. Or it might be that it foreshadows an almighty battle between the two Floridians in the race to be the Republican Party nominee. And in that race, right at this moment, I'm not sure, Donald, that you would win. But you never know, politics is a dynamic game and you change the kinetic energy just by entering a race and letting the chips fall as they will. We'll be talking, as I say, at length about the United States elections and what they mean for the rest of the world to three experts. So let me now segue to some other matters. In Britain, a man called Rashid Sanouk has become the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. As Joe Biden put it, go figure, go figure indeed. Uh, Rashid Sanouk won only because everybody else dropped out. And everybody else dropped out because they were afraid that uh, Boris Johnson coming back, this time as Mr. Nice Guy, would be just too awful to contemplate. And so Sanuk, without a vote being cast by anybody for him, became the British Prime Minister. He said he was going to set things back to right, especially on the honesty and integrity fronts. <laughs> but in the shortest ever cabinet tenure, Sir Gavin Williamson, don't tell him your name, Pike, is out before most people even knew that he was back in. And the reason why is that he was sending obscene, threatening, mafia texts to his own chief whip. Now, I've dealt with chief whips. In fact, I dealt with one of them, Nick Brown, who's been mysteriously suspended from the Labour Party for seven whole weeks now without anyone being told why he's been suspended and what it is he's supposed to have done. Now, he was never mean to me. On the contrary, he attended our wedding, as a matter of fact, when I was no longer uh, a Labour MP, but uh, a Labour opponent. But he still came to our wedding. I like him, more than like him. But I would never, even when he was my whip, have dreamt of sending him a threatening text. I wouldn't have sent anyone a threatening text, but the last person in the world I would have threatened would have been the chief whip, but that's what Sir Gavin did. Now, I've been on his case, as regular viewers will know, for a very long time, ever since he was a furniture salesman who caused the end of the furniture selling career of a young married woman of his acquaintance. I've been on his case ever since that day. 
The fact that Rashid Sanouk thought that Sir Gavin Williamson was the way to go to restore trust and integrity in the British government speaks all the volumes you need it to speak about the judgment of the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. But it was called into question again over the Coca-Cola COP. That's right, the COP Environment Conference in military dictatorship Egypt, in the fleshpot of Sharm el-Sheikh, is being sponsored by Coca-Cola, which produces 120 billion plastic bottles every single year and is one of the greatest pollutants on the earth. A long way behind the US military, but still a gigantic polluter. But hey, it's sponsoring yet another annual freebie at which hundreds, 300, I read, 300 private jets fly to an environment conference to outdo each other in a contest as to who could be the most green, the most woke, the biggest quack, and to hand over their own country's desperately short public money to other countries. And Rashid Sanouk didn't let us down in that regard despite the fact that half of Britain is scared to switch on their heating on this November evening, he handed over 15 billion British taxpayers' pounds to other countries so that they could go green. Just as we're all going round, me included, cutting down trees for firewood to keep our families warm, he's handing over the dosh. And this, a conference that he had earlier announced he was not going to attend. And one last, because I could go on, one last piece of doubt I want to sow about Rashid Sanouk is this. We have a Royal Navy, our senior service, which thinks nothing at the drop of a baton of sailing its warships thousands of miles away in other people's waters, in the South China Sea, in the Straits of Taiwan, in the Indo-Pacific, like a latter-day Gilbert and Sullivan flotilla. There they can be found, and yet they cannot be found in the English Channel, where hundreds, sometimes Thousands of people every single day are arriving on the beaches of the south of England as illegal migrants, whereafter they are whisked away to increasingly every hotel in Britain, except the five-star ones in Grosvenor, in Mayfair, but everywhere else. Hotels are being wholly booked out. Wedding parties are being cancelled. Brides and grooms are told there's no room at the inn because at £85 per night per person, we are housing thousands upon thousands upon thousands, 80,000 at the last count, of refugees, except 
most of them are not conceivably, cannot as a matter of definition be refugees because half of them are Albanian citizens. Albania, a candidate member of the EU, a candidate member of NATO, a fully owned and controlled EU and NATO protectorate, hasn't been at war since 1945. And there cannot be any repression there because, hey, they're close friends of ours. So by definition, Half of the people arriving on the beaches should have been driven to the airport and flown back to Albania. Instead, they are filling the hotels of England and Wales and no doubt farther beyond soon. But no sign of Sunak anytime soon sailing to the rescue in that regard. The poll is on my uh, Twitter and on my YouTube and on my Telegram, will Donald Trump be US president in 2024? It's a damn close run thing, Mr. Trump. Well, our next guest uh, might as well answer that question first. He is the one and only Chris Hedges, journalist, writer and activist, scholar and gentleman, I should add. Chris Hedges, welcome back to the show. Let me run that question past you. In the light of the last 24 hours, will Donald Trump be the US president in 2024? I think it's likely that it'll be Trump or DeSantis or somebody who is Trump-like uh, this election, which the Democrats are desperately trying to paint as a victory. And they use that word only because they weren't shellacked uh, or beaten to the extent that they expected to be. They still, it appears, uh, have lost control of the House of Representatives. That shows cripple Biden's administration, which has been pretty much locked in paralysis anyway since Biden took office. Uh, there's a deep uh, discontent uh, within the body politic between the two ruling uh, parties, the Democratic Party uh, is uh, essentially fused now with the establishment Republican Party. That's how you have figures like Robert Reich, who's supposedly a liberal pundit, calling for Liz Cheney to run for president, Liz Cheney campaigning for Democrats. But things are disintegrating. It's too early. It's two years away. It's too early to tell Trump, but does appear poised to announce a run uh, but uh, whether it is or isn't Trump, I think it's pretty certain uh, or it will be very likely that it will be somebody who embraces Trump's politics uh, on the far right that uh, has a pretty good shot of becoming president. There's far right and there's far right, isn't there? Uh, Donald Trump's uh, in many respects far right, but in a maverick populist kind of way. And there's far right in the DeSantis way, uh, which is much more of uh, an orthodox uh, neocon foreign policy, neoliberal economic policy and no populism really at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, Trump was kind of all over the map in a lot of ways, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, he said truths that were not uh, spoken before by the political 
establishment, calling, for instance, the invasion of Iraq a big, fat mistake, uh, which, of course, it was. He didn't start any wars. He actually negotiated. That's a rather sane policy, something uh, the uh, Democrats don't want to do with Russia. Indeed, you know, they're trying to, uh, if they lose the, the House, which appears likely, uh, they're talking about pushing through another $50 billion bill uh, to fund this endless war, proxy war uh, in uh, Ukraine. But yes, uh, I think there's a kind of discipline to the figures like DeSantis, uh, uh, which uh, uh, in some, to my mind anyway, make figures, political figures like DeSantis more frightening than Trump. I'm glad uh, without any uh, collusion, to use a word, uh, we reached the same conclusion about the outcome of the elections because I've been operating in the dark, as it were, thousands of miles away, relying on social media for updates, uh, updates uh, of which there are precious few over the last few hours. Um, but uh, it, it seemed clear to me that there had been an almighty news management effort made to talk up uh, what the Republican result would be, and then talk down uh, what the result actually was. Well, yes. I mean, if you listen to CNN, I wouldn't recommend it. They're describing this as a victory for Biden. Well, how, if you lose the House, exactly how is that a victory? Uh, if you don't lose it, perhaps by the uh, numbers that were predicted, you still lost it. Uh, and there's, uh, it appears very likely that the Democrats will not have control of the Senate. There'll probably be a runoff election in Georgia. You have to get over 50 percent between uh, uh, um, uh, the two Senate candidates, two Democrat, the Senate Republican, uh, Herschel Walker and uh, Raphael uh, Warmack. The, 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 it's, it, it's, it's not good news for the Democratic Party. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The, the, the spinning is, uh, defies reality. Now, uh, who's who uh, in the uh, Democrats now? Pelosi goes uh, after I don't know how many decades uh, in the Congress. Uh, who should we look out for, Chris, in the Democratic Party? Not that they'll be much better than her, but at least uh, give us a hint as to what their names will be. Well, Pelosi and Schumer will still, she'll become the minority leader, which she was before. Uh, the power of Pelosi and Schumer is that they control the money. Uh, and that's how they bring AOC and the quote-unquote progressive wing of the uh, Democratic Party to heel. Remember, the 30 members signed a letter calling for negotiations with Moscow, which they had to very hastily retract and apologize for. Uh, and that, that, that lock on money, that decision of which campaigns to fund, which not – the, the sums that have been poured into this election defy belief, especially in states like Georgia. Uh, uh, they still have that. That is where their power lies, and, and that's not going to go away. So uh, oh, Schumer and Pelosi may end up becoming minority leaders, but uh, uh, they, 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 they have a kind of death grip on the party. So no new blood. I mean, they won't take uh, losing uh, for an answer. Uh, they won't step down to spend time, spend more time with their families or other people's families. No, we saw that after the election of Trump. These people don't, just don't go away. Uh, and, and they don't go away because they are the water carriers for the large corporations and 
Wall Street. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Democratic Party doesn't function as a real political party. The base doesn't have any real say. Uh, even the Labor Party is more Democratic uh, than the Democratic Party. At least there was an upsurge around Jeremy Corbyn, the Blairites within the party, of course, decapitated Corbyn and all of his supporters. Uh, but, but such a groundswell uh, just couldn't even exist. I mean, you had the Democratic National Committee working against uh, the candidacy of Bernie Sanders in his two runs. Uh, they anointed Biden, which nobody really wanted, uh, but they got all the other candidates to withdraw. Uh, and then they played dirty in all sorts of caucuses, and which we won't get into. But uh, the, the party establishment as such anoints candidates. They anointed Biden. Uh, and uh, uh, it, it, that ossification of the political process is, of course, part of the problem. If, uh, if this has been such a good night for Joe Biden, I guess that means he'll have to run again in 2024, will he? I, I think he and the party hierarchy are ready for him to run again. Uh, and it's, I mean, I think we see all of these elections are so close. I mean, it's just right down to the wire. And I think what that really illustrates is a kind of disenfranchisement among uh, the voters. So let's not forget that on most of the substantial issues, wholesale surveillance, war, trade deals, militarized police, the largest prison system in the world, uh, the predatory capitalism that has deindustrialized the country, there's no daylight between the Republicans and the Democrats. They'll fight over cultural issues. Um, but uh, uh, th there's, a, there's a deep dissatisfaction, which of course is fueling what I would call the hard right, the demagogues on the hard right, uh, who always rise up out of the morass of a dysfunctional political system. That's something I saw in Yugoslavia. So uh, it, it's, not, it's not a healthy or a good night for the Democratic Party, but I would also say for the American voter. We're a nation convulsed by violence. We, we have so many mass shootings, they hardly make the news anymore. Uh, and we are edging closer and closer towards political assassination. There were several attempts, including the break-in at Nancy Pelosi's house and the attack on her husband. We can all go back all the way to the pipe bombs that were mailed to Democratic Party candidates. We have far-right Republican candidates using the language of violence, not only against Demogra Democrats, but uh, people who are not considered loyal Trump supporters or Republicans in name only, rhinos, they call them. Uh, the, 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 the rhetoric, which again, for me, has echoes of Yugoslavia, coupled with the social disintegration, coupled with the easy access to assault weapons, um, and and the, the the kind of very lax, almost non-existent gun control, it, it just doesn't bode well for where we're headed. We're not being hit like you are uh, with the, the same kind of level of inflation and the increase in terms of energy prices, but we are being hit. Uh, and unlike the UK, for instance, uh, we have privatized healthcare. It's, uh, so uh, even people with insurance, I think a million people a year go into bankruptcy. It's just uh, there's no real social safety net at all within the United States. So when you fall, uh, you, you fall right down to the bottom. 
Um, so we're headed for a, an extremely difficult period uh, within the United States. Uh, this will further the kind of paralysis within the legislative body, and already has been paralysis virtually for the last two years under the Biden administration. This will make it worse, and this will exacerbate the kind of political rage, the social rage uh, that has been born out of the wreckage of neoliberalism and social inequality and permanent war. I mean, let's be clear, um, the half of all discretionary spending in the United States goes into the war industry. Uh, that brings me really to my, my final question. Uh, if we can accept as a working hypothesis, maybe some weeks or months before we know, uh, that, uh, that the Republicans control Congress and Joe Biden remains more or less a compass mentis in the White House. What does that mean for the world, Chris? What will change, if anything, in America's role in the world? Not much, because uh, both in terms of trade policy and in terms of permanent war, that's a bipartisan effort. So George W. Bush may have started the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, but uh, the Obama administration was quite happy to perpetuate and fund them. Uh, it, it, within, in terms of sort of uh, the, th that those aspects of American policy, i.e. war, military adventurism, and of course the kind of uh, antagonism of China, which is as frightening as the antagonism of Russia, uh, coupled with uh, global corporate power, uh, these are bipartisan efforts. I mean, we have in the United States a kind of system of legalized bribery, in essence, where it costs staggering sums to even get into the House of Representatives. And then once there, the lobbyists who put you in office essentially write the legislation. And that, again, is bipartisan. That is as true for Democrats as it is for Republicans. Uh, the Fetterman, uh, the Democrats spent $100 million electing Fetterman. Right. And the job has a salary of $95,000. Right. It must have been very important. Well, that's, that's, and I think they have to spend that kind of money because so much of the electorate is disillusioned, apathetic, frustrated, even angry. Um, so I, I don't know what the final tally for these midterms will be, but we're talking, of course, in the billions of dollars. I mean, Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign alone cost $1 billion. Uh, and that's because it's very hard to gin up any kind of enthusiasm for any of these candidates. Wow. A billion dollar baby, yeah. Hillary Clinton. How's your book doing, Chris? I've, I've just had it delivered. I haven't okay. started it yet. Good. Tell us about your latest book. Uh, the Greatest Evil is War. Uh, I was a war correspondent, and it's even when I reread the final draft before publication, it was kind of a gut punch. But it's it's what war does. And, of course, my much of my frustration over the cheerleading for Ukraine harkens back to the cheerleading for the war in Iraq. It's all these people who are celebrating industrial violence uh, without knowing what it is or knowing the cost. I find the whole Ukraine policy very cynical. Uh, so uh, we're going to destroy Ukraine and let Ukrainians uh, uh, bleed to death in, in kind of rivers of blood uh, so we can degrade Putin. And then when it's all over, we'll walk away just as we did in Afghanistan, Iraq and everywhere else. 
Best of luck with it. Not that you need it. It's uh, Even the cover is a gut punch, as you say. Chris Hedges, thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Much obliged to you. Will Donald Trump be U.S. president in 2024? On Twitter, yes, 51. No, 49. On YouTube, yes, 60. No, 40. And on Telegram, yes, 51. No, 49. Not looking that great for you, Donnie. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Nick Cruz is a citizen journalist and a co-founder of Revolutionary Blackout Network, which sounds a little bit frightening. Nick Cruz joins us now. Uh, Nick, thanks. Uh, I'm amazed there's a huge body of people waiting to see you here. You're obviously a star in your own uh, orbit. Let's take you to the wider world because you deserve it. Um, First of all, in a nutshell, your thoughts on yesterday's elections. So thank you for having me on, George. And I said this on Revolutionary Blackout as well. It literally did not matter who won during the midterm election. The working class will lose no matter what. The military industrial complex will win no matter what. George, Goldman Sachs never lost an election. <laughs> so Goldman Sachs is more than happy no matter the Democratic Party wins or the Republican Party wins. And I'm going to share my thoughts on the midterms and, and the results. But I want to make it clear to you guys, if you're watching in the UK or other uh, countries as well, the United States, we have no functioning democracy. Despite what you hear from Democratic Party operatives, where we're going to protect our democracy, we live in a capitalist dictatorship. What do you call a democracy, quote unquote, where you can predict the winner at around a 95% success rate just simply based on who raised the most money? That is not a democracy. You can't, we do not have the ability to get working class anti-establishment people to win in our quote unquote election. It's literally a competition between the capitalist bourgeoisie. And I'm gonna give you guys another example. In this election, you had George Soros who spent $128 million on this election. Then the number two was like 75, less than half of that. But if you was to bring this up, the Democratic Party will call you anti-Semitic just by bringing up the fact that George Soros has completely bought out the Democratic Party. Val Demings lost to Marco Rubio despite raising over $70 million. The Democratic Party is a complex money laundering scheme. 
imagine if this money was spent on our community that was actually spent on helping people. Now, there was a lot of predictions that we were going to have a red wave. And that's uh, the historical trend, because whenever the president takes charge, they, they tend to lose the House and Senate afterwards. And the corporate media always says this, and they never offer an explanation. George, why do you think that the, the, the party in the presidency always lose the House and Senate in the midterm after? That's not an accident. That happens because uh, Americans are brainwashed. They, they believe that a party will have their best interests at heart every two to four years. And then their team get in charge, and they're like, oh, I remember why they suck now. <laughs> so then the next party come in, they clean up. Now, they expected a red way, red way to happen, even though it's still likely that the Republicans are going to take the House. You had John Fairman at one. It, it, it's more like a red trickle, if, if anything. And we can have a lot of discussion about why that is, but both parties have been deeply unserious in pushing the culture war issues. You had the Republican Party. All they had to do was shut up, <laughs> to shut up and be normal, because Biden has been so horrific for everyday working class people. But they spend every waking second of every day talking about trans people in bathrooms, trans people in sports. They, they do nothing but push culture war, white identity politics. And then they wonder why it wasn't a red wave. And I'm not saying the Democratic Party don't do the same thing e either. I'm gonna pass it back to you, George, but both parties push the culture war to distract from the fact that both parties do the, the bidding of the military-industrial complex, the prison-industrial complex, and Wall Street. George, if I wanted to vote to limit the amount of funds that we were sending Israel as a bombing Syria and committing a genocide against the Palestinian people, who? what is my option on the ballot? If I wanted to limit the amount of money that we send to Nazis in Ukraine, who's my pick? If I wanted to limit the scope and power of the prison industrial complex, there is no option for us in the United States. That's what I mean when I say this is a capitalist dictatorship. Well, very powerfully uh, expressed, uh, if a little <coughs> depressing, <coughs> forgive me, uh, the money issue. Let's talk that first. Chris Hedges just told us that Hillary Clinton spent $1 billion to lose the presidency <laughs> to the one man in America that she uh, couldn't, shouldn't have ever lost it to, a clown, a game show host. And she spent a billion dollars and lost. Yeah. Fetterman, the guy, the stroke victim, you just referred to him, who can no longer speak who lived with his mom and dad until he was 50 years old, whose one foreign policy pronouncement is that America needs to get closer to Israel, he spent a hundred million in one Senate race. Yes. Who gives all that money? I also want to remind people as well, not only did John Fetterman say he's gonna lean in with his relationship with Israel, Literally, as they are bombing uh, Syria, as they are uh, assaulting uh, Palestinians in mosques, he also was asked during his debate with Dr. Oz, uh, what is the number one uh, foreign policy threat to the United States? And he mentioned that we got to do everything we can to combat China. <laughs> and, and that is the quote unquote 
progressive option that we have in the United States. A guy who also is staunchly in support of the Ukraine proxy war. And this is the guy that was sold as a progressive. The, the progressive movement, as we know right now, is a pro-war movement. John Ferryman, just one example. Uh, you, have, you had uh, Frost Maxwell, Maxwell Frost, the first ever Gen Z, and I saw a lot of excitement on liberal Twitter about this. The first ever Gen Z guy uh, was elected to Congress. And the reason why he was elected to Congress is because he took dark money from uh, Zionists. And he turned his back on Palestinian groups after infiltrating those groups. So you had John Ferryman, you had Maxwell Frost, Nina Turner before him, Jamal Bowman right now, who had the same voting record as Elliot Engel. The only way the progressives can get elected is if they sell out black people, they sell out Palestinians, indigenous people, and they are funded by Zor Soros and Zionists. The Squad, Bernie Sanders, AOC, John Fetterman, Val Demings, who just ran in Florida, was given uh, an insane amount of money from the George Soros uh, war tank. And that is fed through the Worker Families uh, Party uh, organization. Then they give that money to the squad. Then AOC get that money to corporate Democrats and CIA Democrats. There are, there are a ton of working class people that are donating money to the progressive thinking that they are going to fight money in politics. Now the Democrats broke midterm records this time. And now their projections, the 2020 election was already a ridiculous capitalist influx of money. But now 2024 is going to blow all records away. We don't even live in, in an illusion of a democracy. It's essentially a popularity contest between uh, the ruling class. Now, Donald Trump, the real reason why they don't like Donald Trump, Donald Trump, and I, just to be 100% clear with you guys, he's, he's just an average member of the ruling class. Donald Trump just played their game better than they did. He understood the game. He was better at being an oligarch than Hillary Clinton. He was better at winning the popularity context. When he, when he got in, he, he, got Mike, he, he hired Mike Pompeo, John Bolton. He hired a ton of Goldman Sachs. So he bought and paid for as well. It is Donald Trump is just some guy who was better at playing the game than what they was. And that's why they was really upset at him because he provided a bad face for the empire. But hey, Fetterman wears a hoodie. Uh, and uh, the squad uh, looked good on the on the front page of uh, of Vogue and Vanity Fair. I call them the bomb squad now. There's not many advantages a person my age has over a person your age, but one of them is this: that we were alive in the 1960s when, in American politics, we had Martin Luther King. We had Malcolm X, we had Jack Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy, we had uh, McGovern, uh, we had uh, anti-war movement of millions, we had uh, students for a democratic society, and we had a revolution outside the Democratic Party convention in Chicago in 1968 and so on. You're so young, You've only read about these things. What yeah. went wrong, Chris? So I, I and in Nick. my journalism, my citizen journalism, I focus on uh, anti-war coverage, the class war and state violence. And the reason why is because if you talk to a lot of people my age, we was influenced by the Iraq war. I, I was in high school. I, I grew up during the George W. Bush a junior administration. So I remember the Iraq war and hearing the horrors of it, the Afghanistan war. 
And that is what led my generation to be way more anti-war. You can see this across the line. We are way more anti-war, more principally anti-war than the older generations who are who lost their way. Unfortunately, Barack Obama did an amazing job at killing the anti-war movement. The same word, the same way that Joe Biden killed the Me Too movement, the same way that Joe Biden killed the immigration justice movement. The Democratic Party is where movements go to die. There was a giant anti-war coalition in this country, uh, sim- not similar, but very similar to the Vietnam War that we saw in, uh, uh, decades prior. Then Barack Obama came in, a very smart, uh, very well articulate person, and he just sat that momentum while dragging a ton of people to the right. And I'm speaking as a black man here. He dragged a ton of people in our community to the right, turning a lot of people in our community to apologizing for the, these wars that we used to uh, fight against. You mentioned MLK. MLK gave famous speeches and he was strongly against militarism. People think that MLK kicked up his feet and retired after 1965. After 1965, that is when white America really started hating him because he called out corporate greed, he called out poverty, and he called out militarism. The Black Panthers was famously known for being an internationally conscious community that stood in solidarity with the Palestinians. Malcolm X often talked about a war machine. We somehow went from black revolutionary leaders who used to call out a war machine and the crimes that they did in Africa. Now we have black imperialists. Now we have woke imperialists. We had Jean Pierre, who's literally apologizing for U.S. imperialism on her own people. So to answer your question straight up, what what went wrong, the establishment adjusted to the Vietnam protests in the Vietnam era. And now that we have the age of information and internet, and I see you cover this a lot, we cover this a lot, you see massive amount of censorship and disinformation that is coming from the government. Now, if you call out a politician, and there have been a lot of the progressive frauds like Bernie Sanders, Jamal Bowman, Ilhan Omar, AOC, who recently been called out because their war uh, their support for the war in Ukraine. And their response to us was essentially call us Putin puppets. Uh, you spread in Russian disinformation. That is how brainwashed people have become. They repeat the old school propaganda line that we questioning our military industrial complex. We must be a public for the enemy regime. What we need, and this is related to the uh, midterms that just happened. I don't, I don't vote Democrat or Republican, if you are an anti-war activist and you vote for Republicans and Democrats, you are deeply unserious, whether you know it or not. Both are pro-war parties. We need a anti-war third party coalition. I don't care if people I disagree with. The war machine and the prison industrial complex, which are connected, are so powerful. That needs to be the number one concern of workers is to end that because we do not benefit from the global empire. Anyway, George, I'll pass it back to you. How, how, how can that be done, Nick? What, the famous question, what is to be done? I'm glad, I'm glad you asked this because while I do bitch and complain about the problems of our society, I take pride in the fact that Revolutionary Blackout is actually a channel that leads the way in discussing solutions. There are a lot of nihilists in this space that just talk about the problems. But then when they are asked solutions, they end up just telling you to vote blue, trust a politician. No, we need to take power into our own hands. We have been educating people on mutual aid. And when I'm talking about building a third party movement, I am talking about a movement. Studies show that you only need around three to five percent 
of the population to be on board with your message. And you can drive along with people, a lot of people who are on the fence with you. And then there will always be 30% of the population that's against you. Those are the people you defeat. So the path that we need to do right now, I don't know if you know this, George, but studies show that 50% of American voters want a third party, a third party option. It is, there's no uh, professional managerial class uh, messengers on the left that are trying to make that happen. In fact, they are active agents to fear mongering against third parties. So in my vision of change, third parties in America, it's hard for us to win, but we need to t focus on taking care of our material needs while building up a, uh, a anti-war movement, an anti-capitalist movement, a proletariat movement. So we need to focus on mutual aid. That is what Rome is doing with Tour for the Poor. That is what we're doing, launching RBN chapters all over this country so we can separate ourselves from the capitalist system. Once we separate ourselves from the capitalist system by building mutual aid societies, we show up and build those mutual aid societies via third party. So when we do when we do our food drives, whenever we uh, show up and help people, we're letting people know that we showed up. You have a mutual aid party that show up, they're taking care of the people while the politicians is abandoning us. We build this movement, we get on the debate stage. All we need is 5%, and a lot of people don't know that 5% in the third party gets you federal funding. 15% puts you on a national debate stage. Now, remember, 3% is all you really need historically to have massive social change. And then a lot of people, like if you shut stuff down via general strike, there are a lot of people who are like, I'll oh, just give them what they want. <laughs> Right. So you just need to build that momentum. If we had a third party to get 5% federal funding, running on popular ideas, economic populism while ending the war, that coalition is already here. We just need to put it together. Then if we get to 15%, we're talking about a real game changer, a real game changer where we had a third party candidate. What I would like to see a, a populist anti-war third party candidate calling out neocons on both sides. And if you got 15% of the population, enough to get you on the debate stage, you're talking about serious coalition building power that the establishment have to acknowledge. And if they don't acknowledge and they continue to fight us and be anti-democratic, then we, we talk about general strikes. Then we talk about shutting society down. This is when you, this is when we get into the topic that the boutique managerial class, a lot of people are, who are comfortable, they don't want to have the discussion because they don't want society shut down. But that is what we must do. And with the population and with the populace on our side, this is how you enact change. Now, George, everything I just described to you, this is a long process. Like It's not easy. It takes a lot of uh, uh, revolutionary discipline. But that's why we need to get started right now, right now. And I'm going to say one more thing, because I know I started with something that was initially depressing, uh, talking about how we have no functioning democracy. We live essentially in a capitalist dictatorship. There are there are upsides to what I've seen this election. For example, I live in Missouri, a very red, very red conservative state. We just legalized marijuana in Missouri. We also approved of affordable housing project that will fund affordable housing up to $150 million. Also, in previous elections, we got Medicaid expansions. Like, we, like when it comes to direct democracy, that is our path to change because the American people, the United States is economically left. And if they are asked about policy ideas, they will vote in their own best interest. That's why in red state Missouri, they was able to have a Medicaid expansion. Now, George, can you imagine if we had a, a society where we would vote on Ukraine aid funding? Do you guys know how quickly the American people will shut that 
that down. So there are upsides. We, we, I'll tell you what I fear. I, I, I could talk to you all night, but I can't because the clock is against me. <laughs> yeah. Here's my fear. Put this in your pipe and smoke it. This, this legalized marijuana will send all your revolutionaries to sleep. And that's its purpose. But hey, call me old fashioned. You certainly <laughs> ain't. Nick Cruz, thanks Thank for you. joining us Thank you. on the mother of all talk shows. Let's go to the lines. Daniel is in sunny Florida. Daniel, every conservative in America is headed your way. It's going to put the house prices well up. Every, every, everybody who loves DeSantis is thinking of moving to your uh, sun, sunshine state. Tell us how it was for you. Hey, Mr. George, um, it, it was it was actually, um, we knew what was gonna happen here in Florida last night. Um, it, it wasn't even a question. Um, if you're from here, you love DeSantis, you love his leadership. He, he's straightforward. Um, you know, he was a, he, he was a, an attorney for, for Navy SEALs. Like the, the guy's super sharp and he's not gonna back down. But, um, <clears throat> I think Trump needs to back out. Um, but can I, let me just stop you for a second, Daniel, just for a second. I take your point uh, about uh, DeSantis's qualities, but he only just won his last election. He only became the candidate by a majority of one-tenth of one percent the first time that he ran, and then he only just won. What's happened? to give him a 20-point lead yesterday. Leadership. He, he, he was unknown in politics, relatively, you know, um, and w within, the, within his short time in office in his political career, the, he did a phenomenal job leading this state through the shutdowns, through the schools, through the whole Disney. Like, he is an absolute leader, and, and his choices always seem to work out to be the correct ones. Um, you, you can call some of that luck, but at a certain point, it becomes skill when you're when you're constantly that correct about things. Very well put. Very well put. Now go on to make your uh, point. Sorry uh, okay. to interrupt with, you, Dan. With, with Trump, you know you can't you can't battle the machine, um, and and they hate him so much. Um, you know, pretty much the entire Republican Party has very very few media outputs. You know, the, the Democratic Party has every major media outlet in the United States. So it's an unfair battle from there. So they don't run off of what Trump actually accomplished, you know, like um, actually bringing peace, North Korea, talking like, I mean, look what's going on now. You know, he, he got no credit, you know, for, for any of his accomplishments. And, and I think if people pick up the page and kind of run off of his policy, but I don't think him as a, he's not going to win. He, he can't People hate him so much he, he can't pull independents or Democrats to vote for a Republican. Now, if DeSantis calms down, you know, they're going to have to find a balance for Republicans as president. You know, it, it, it's the truth in America. Our, our, our truth right now, people like abortion. They, they want the choice. And, you know, you can have your own independent feelings about it, but the truth is the truth. The majority of America, it's a big issue. Um, the border is not as big as what they thought. Do you think how big an issue was it? I looked at the, uh, the deeper polling. Uh, first of all, only 2% of people were voting on foreign policy. Very interesting. But 9% were voting on abortion. 9% uh, is a lot of people. Uh, how big a role uh, did it play, uh, do you think, in the, in, the, 
in the actual polling on the day. I, I don't think I don't think it actually, you know, was that big of an issue. I, I think if you if people voted for their incumbents, you know, and, and I think it's the Republicans got distracted. They they can't they they can't sling mud and fight and get pulled into those especially in debates you have to they're going to have to stay laser focused be business like you know and they're going to have to have a little bit more compromise in in some of the issues that they find super important but you know you got half of america that feels the other way about the issue so if you can't go in willing to you know approach it with some type of compromise you're not going to pull anybody to your side to vote for you you know so people just went with their incumbents last night they they you know they 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 got policy, but they cho- chose to argue, call names. It, it's got to stop. You know, if, if the Republicans ever want to win again, it's got to stop. Like, I mean, every, well, everybody. I mean, what are these issues? What are these issues, Daniel? They are guns. The Republicans cannot compromise on that. On abortion, I, I speak as someone uh, who hates abortion myself. Uh, the uh, the Republicans can't really compromise on that, although I think the Supreme Court decision was jolly bad timing for the midterms uh, because they've got this big super Christian evangelical base. Uh, there are uh, the is- other issues of identity politics. They are the more conservative of the two parties on these things. How much can they compromise on that? One of the parties eventually is going to have to compromise or this country is just going to go further and further into a, a crap hole until, you know, we're, we're no longer dominant. You know, there, it's, it's really risky, our place in the world right now, more riskier than it's ever been. And, and that's what I'm saying to the point. You know, they polled Americans and 70 to 80 percent said that the next generation is going to have it worse. You know, they have zero faith of where this country is heading, but yet they went and voted for the same exact people who were in office. So it speaks to the point that Republicans didn't do a good enough job of staying on, staying on point, you know, and, and explaining their policy. They got pulled into that back and forth mudslinging. And, you know, people, I, I think they just tuned it out and went and voted for who they normally vote for. It should have been a huge, massive wave. As Perfect bad as call. this country is, it should have been a massive red wave because I think Republicans lost, lost focus. Terrific call, uh, Daniel. Uh, I don't agree with it all, but it was uh, terrifically well expressed. Thanks uh, for that. Anthony is in Detroit on the same subject. Go ahead, Anthony. Hey, George. Good evening. Well, uh, the Democrats actually had a great night here in Michigan. They three top incumbents statewide, governor and attorney general and secretary of state, they all won re-election very well. But and it's different, you know, state by state. Abortion was on the ballot here as a ballot proposal, and it passed uh, into our Constitution last night. So it definitely drove turnout here, and that's why I think they had a good night that the Democrats did here. But, yeah, that's terrible, in my opinion, because uh, I voted third party, but that's just like an endorsement of our governor, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, who's uh, did all the things that Cuomo did with the lockdowns and the nursing homes of COVID and all that, and then some. And it's just a terrible endorsement of that, from my opinion. But I, I understand why the result turned out that way statewide. Very interesting. Now, uh, can I uh, press you? Um, feel free to refuse to answer. But when you say you voted third party, uh, explain to the international audience uh, what does that mean in the U.S. context? Which third party? 
that means anything that's not Democrat or Republican, and and that's what that means. I voted Green Party on most of them, even though I really I'm not a fan of the Green Party at this point. Uh, and I voted Working Class. It's uh, just a party that exists in our state on one race. But then, um, yeah, that's very their party. Uh, very interesting. In the uh, Anthony, thanks. I've got to press on because I've got uh, another of your uh, uh, compatriots on the line, Jeff in Michigan. Go ahead, Jeff. Yes, uh, George, first of all, congratulations on all that you have done. I saw you testify before the Senate. I saw you fight against the Iraq war. I'm very proud of what you did, and I'm so glad you're still on. Thank you. I wanted to mention still, that Still fighting. I won't fight you. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, there is a thing called promissory estoppel in, the, in American law. It's a term of equity, meaning just or fair, and it's an enforceable arrangement if you can prove that a promise was made, which you reasonably relied upon, to your detriment. So if the court finds, it doesn't have to be written, it can be verbal. And so what I'm trying to do here, or I want to do, is educate the American people to the idea that their court of law, which includes a court of equity, they're joined in our jurisprudence. In, in England, as I understand it, the church dispenses equity and the king dispenses law. But um, in this case, if you prove that a promise was made which you reasonably relied upon, doesn't have to be in writing, to your detriment, so the promise to Gorbachev that NATO wouldn't move one inch. I'm just reemphasizing the idea that there is much to argue in the right for what Putin declared as his reluctant act, something he had to do to stop NATO advancement. And Americans should well understand this because we have the whole Western Hemisphere as our buffer. And we should all know that to get along in this world, you really want to think about treating others as you would like to be treated. That's why I find this Well, evil. these are very beautiful, uh, very beautiful ideas, Jeff, and, and beautifully expressed. I thank you for them. I personally believe uh, that we don't live in a world of laws, that laws are lipstick, uh, that are uh, written on the uglier face uh, of what society really is. I believe that this is, I'm afraid, a jungle uh, and that our rulers, uh, I say rulers rather than leaders, few of them are genuine leaders, our rulers uh, are behaving according to the laws of the jungle. They wrap it up, sure, they put bows on it for uh, Christmas and special occasions, they they speak in awe of things like democracy and uh, rules-based order and all of that, but none of it adds up to a row of beans. Uh, they are, uh, to coin a phrase of Donald Trump's just the other night, they're animals. They behave 
like animals. And the more they are pushed up against the wall, the more they see things going against them, their animal behavior becomes more and more savage. Hassan is in England, in West Yorkshire. Let me hear him. Go ahead, Hassan. Hi there. Good evening, George. How are you doing? I hope you're well. All good, thanks. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, so just, uh, I mean, just as a disclaimer, first of all, I, I mean, I listen quite intently to your shows and I really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in, in large part in agreement with uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the conversations that you have and the contributors you have on. Just one thing that I slightly took issue with at the, at the top of your show in the beginning, your beginning monologue, um, is, yeah, I mean, I think you were referencing Albanians in passing and kind of the, the issues that we're having right now with the quote-unquote migrant crisis, which um, I don't like to refer to, to myself. Um, and I think you would be uh, cognizant as anyone that some of the kind of rhetoric that you were alluding to sounded a little like Daily Mail rhetoric in this kind of reference. It came across to me that it was, um, I don't know, it was a little... Um, not hate mongering, but it was uh, it was almost targeting people who are in in most cases vulnerable people and marginalised people in society. I do say this how, as somebody, how are they, can, can I just say how, I do say this as somebody well, who works every day with immigration and asylum cases. I actually focus on yeah, the Middle I've, East. I've worked, I, I worked I worked for thirty years with immigration and asylum cases, including in West Yorkshire. So you don't have anything to teach me about that. I want to ask you, first of all, uh, what is vulnerable about the Albanian illegal immigrants that are arriving in dinghies in the south of England? In what way are they vulnerable? Well, I'm not. I'm, well, first of all, I'm just making the point that, well, I, was just, I just wanted to push back on one of the points you alluded to about the variable for grant, being granted asylum is war and repression. That's not the only factor by which people are legally... What's the other one? Give me... Give, well, no, well, for that one... Has, that, these are the only. These are the only. So you tell me, maybe the law's changed since I left the legislature. What other than the fear of war, oppression, discrimination, etc., what are these new factors that qualify you as an asylum seeker. George, you just said you're well-versed in immigration and asylum. So if, I, if I'm having to educate you now that, for example, trafficking is one of the largest claims by which people are, is, is one of the particular reasons you by think, which people you can think grant these, asylum. You think, these, you think the Albanians arriving in dinghies are being trafficked? I, I, I never made that point specifically. I'm making the point that there are more variables by which people can legitimately claim asylum other than conflicts and well, repression. That, yeah, but that's not... Look, uh, unless you're saying that some of them are trafficked, then that, that uh, tort falls. Because, uh, as I see it, they're paying thousands of pounds to traffickers to traffic them across the channel to jump the immigration queue. I could give you thousands of people in the subcontinent, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, with a far better claim 
to immigration into Britain than an Albanian who's got thousands of pounds to spend on a dinghy crossing from France. Now, why are you not able to see that, but I can see it? I spent 30 years trying to get family reunification of Asian people uh, already living in Britain, citizens of Britain, wanted to marry somebody from the subcontinent, couldn't get them in. Barrier after barrier after barrier uh, erected to stop even grandparents coming to England to attend a wedding of their grandchildren. But an Albanian can pay thousands of pounds to get on a dinghy. Where's the equity in that, Hassan? Okay, and George, do you, and you and you genuinely believe that these, all these Albanians are getting their asylum claims accepted? Do you? you don't think that there there are no, mass claims that no, are being refused? No, no. It's like what? But what? That's my point. Why does this? That's my point. That because that's my point, Hassan. They have no asylum case. Ipso facto, they have none. There can be none. Therefore, why are they in an £85-a-night hotel room in England for years when we've got poor homeless people sleeping on the street? Army veterans sleeping on the street. Well, we're paying £85-a-night per head for Albanians coming across on dinghies. I don't don't quite understand why it's a zero-sum game for yourself. Why do you have to complain? This issue of uh, of Albanians who are coming to the UK, whether there are whether there are those who actually have a legitimate claim or not, we can we can debate and dispute. I'm not, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with your point per se, but why is there this conflation? Why are you doing why are you doing the Daily Mail bidding where you're having to conflate that with homeless people on the street or so and so when asylum seekers well, are well, much uh, well, I'm, I'm conflating when, it because. Hassan, I'm conflating it because it is a reality. We have Albanians at £85 a night in practically every hotel in parts of England, and we have homeless people sleeping on the street. Where's the equity in that? And we should deal with homelessness. I just, I just, I don't know, I just find it a little bit tragic that you're punching down, George. But, okay, if that, if that, if, if, I don't know, it just, I'm, I'm not actually necessarily... It's, it's you. It's you that's conflating. You're conflating genuine immigration cases, genuine asylum cases, with criminal people trafficking from France. It's you that's conflating that. And here's here's why that is especially tragic, Hassan, because these bogus people trafficked criminal enterprises coming from France are degrading our ability to defend genuine immigration cases and genuine asylum cases because the public takes one look at the military-aged men with mobile phones and earphones climbing out of a dinghy that they paid 5,000 quid to be trafficked to England in. That's what's tragic. Okay, I've, I've got to go, from- Hassan. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure disagreeing with you. Let me take a quick break.
You will like uh, War of the Worlds. Uh, you may not have read it unless you're as old as the hills. It was published in 1897, and yet it tells the story of a Martian invasion of Earth in such hair-raising but entirely realistic terms that it gave me the shivers just reading it into the microphone. I honestly think you'll like it. Super Chats are going well. Thanks to Lars Fenson for 200 Swedish crowns. I'm back again, says Lars. Sorry for missing a few episodes. Welcome back. Farron Balanced, my good friend, Farron Fronchak, sends 10 US dollars, says, hi folks, drop bombs on that like button. You know, like how the US does it without congressional approval. Uh, and uh, she makes the point that in Michigan, she's in Michigan right now, covering the races, hasn't slept since 3 p.m. yesterday. It's still going. Not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but be happy you don't live here. Love you, George. Thanks, Farron. Actually, I had uh, great times in Michigan, in Dearborn. I've spoken there many times. Say hi to Dearborn if you're there, Farron. Uh, Rashid is in California. Let's hear from him. Go ahead, Rashid. George, uh, uh, you know, with all the discussion currently about elections and in the last couple of weeks, you've been talking about Imran Khan and today about Albania. I want to throw a quote at you, and it came from probably one of your favorite songwriters. Mr. Bob Dylan said, you don't need to be a weatherman yep. to know which way the wind blows. And to add to that, sir. It's one of, one of his best lines. To, it's one of his best lines. He was only 23 when he wrote it. Do that, sir, to all of the governments you know, around the world that uh, you know, resist what's happening to them right now in the current events. As you said, there are, days, or there are decades when days go by and there are dec uh, days when decades go by. JFK said very you know, thoughtfully that uh, people who make peaceful change impossible make violent change inevitable. And what that brings me to is that in the case of Imran Khan, uh, the Pakistani government uh, resisting not only the fact that the history is changing in front of them and they have a, a magical opportunity to join forces with the Chinese, with the Russians, with the Iranians, and with this multipolar world, and to not turn their back on the United States, but turn their back on the deep state of the United States, which is doing its best to take the entire world down with it. But while the people lament about what's happened to Imran Khan, or what's happened in the past to uh, Patrice Lumumba, or what happened to Thomas Sankara, uh, or even Malcolm X, the, the real reality is we all need to be those people. We all need to stand up in unison and, you know, fight for these causes. You know, the world needs more George Galloway's. The world needs more, you know, Anthony Wedgwood Benz. It's that standing up and understanding the situation and finding the uh, common ground between people who might argue about woke issues or might work will argue about ethnicities, but realize that, there are real class issues that we need to come together on. And that instead of waiting for uh, uh, Donald Trump and instead of waiting for one person to do it, it's only when the majority pull together to fight that we will get the change we want. And, you know, take the take the lessons such from the a, such a beautiful, beautiful call, Rashid. You moved me uh, almost shed a tear uh, there. That's Rashid in California showing the kind of wisdom that exists in the United States and the spirit that still exists amongst some 
in the United States. The sagacity, the world view, the world vision that was once more common uh, in the United States than it appears to be today. But those that are wise, sagacious, and internationally minded are gathering more and more often here on this international uh, global university of the airwaves. And I'm very proud to be the host of that. God bless you, Rashid. Thank you. Roses in Texas. I can never resist that conflation of Texas Rose. Go ahead, Rose. Uh, hi, George. I wanted to ask you about the G20 summit that's coming up in Bali. Because if I were Time Magazine and I yeah. had the person of the year, I would pick Joko Widodo, uh, the president of Indonesia, because correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm not mistaken, he is the only person throughout the whole year who has met with both Putin and Zelensky in person to negotiate peace. And for the G20 summit next week, he has also invited Zelensky to participate, even though Ukraine is not a member of the G20. Now, the problem is that Zelensky has previously said that he will not attend if Putin attends. And we have to remember that this is a guy who pretty recently called for preemptive nuclear strikes against Russia. So I want to, what I wanted to ask you, George, is this. Do you think everyone is going to show up to the G20 summit next week? And if so, can we expect an end to this proxy war? And if not, is this the point of no return? Well, I hope so. Uh, Jokowi has done a good job uh, with the G20 so far in the preparations for it. My own wife is from uh, Indonesia. Indeed, she traveled to Indonesia to vote for him. So she's quite pleased at the job that he's done. And I hope for lots of reasons, including Indonesia's own uh, esteem, uh, that everyone does show up. Uh, these events are sometimes non-events, but given the international situation, uh, I would have thought they are afforded by the G20 an opportunity not just to grandstand in public, but to talk in private, jaw-jaw being far better than war-war. And I'm hoping that in Bali, uh, a very beautiful place, very peaceful environment these days, uh, that in the corridors outside the conference auditorium, that peace will be talked. So I very much hope uh, that Zelensky will go uh, to Bali. I certainly hope that Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin, at least in private, can talk because the world is in peril uh, by the great chasm that now exists between Russia and the United States. I think that was the last call that we have uh, time for. Have we got one last call? Let's uh, hear it. I don't know the name. Uh, it's a blind date. Put the last call through. Uh, unfortunately, we have lost that blind date. I shouldn't be blind dating at my age anyway. I'm a happily married man. Apologies that Max Blumenthal couldn't join us in the end uh, for family reasons. We'll get Max on uh, just as uh, soon as we can, maybe uh, Sunday. How we do? We've got the one and only Mike in South Carolina. Mike, are you feeling that you got it right? Oh, you know I got it right, George. You absolutely know that because you asked me for the prediction and I gave it to you exactly as it happened and that it was going to be a very little red trick. Just recap. Yeah. Just uh, recap, recap. Yeah. 
You yeah. said it would be a red trickle, yeah, and we think I that's what that. it's been, yeah? And I also told you you wouldn't know anything about who was going to control anything for weeks or even months after this happens because of the, the way the vote came in and everything else. But uh, uh, I, I, I didn't come, you know, just to be, and I told you so about it. Uh, but if you go back and listen to what I said, it was exactly the way it is. And, and that's because I, I kind of have my finger on the pulse of what's happening here. Uh, I stay involved mm-hmm. in the politics. And uh, you've had many, many good guests on today uh, and, and callers as well. And I, I did particularly like uh, what Hassan was saying, uh, you know, about the uh, people coming up on the coast over there. Uh, I sometimes get the idea that you would be out there pushing those dinghies back out into the channel if, uh, if you had your way. But, but the, the truth is, when, when someone comes onto your shore, you don't know what his situation is until you hear his story, which, which you're not allowing to happen. And uh, uh, even if it costs no, not when they're from Albania, no, 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 not not, not the Albanians. Even if it costs you, no. As soon as as soon as they say they're Albanian, they should be sent back because Albania is a safe country. Albanians may have a story too, but I mean, you accuse the French of letting them illegally cross, and I don't really believe it. Well, if if they've got a story, they can go to the British Embassy in Tirana and give it. I understand, I, and I know, I know, you know that, that you're not as hard-hearted as I make you out to be. But uh, y- y- your other guest, uh, your other guest, Nick, who was, uh, you know, a young fellow talking about, uh, 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 you know, the new party or the new revolution he's trying to run. Uh, he's young. He's uh, ideological. You and I have a little better understanding of, of how the world actually works, and so does Chris Hedges. And uh, but, but you know, the thing about this is. Uh, you know, if, if if you look back, and I heard you say just a few minutes ago that uh, that marijuana caused the problems with everything, but the, the real truth of the matter is that during the Vietnam War, uh, marijuana and mind-expanding drugs drove the peace movement. And if you had them now, you would see more of it than you're seeing now. Wow. You and I are going to have a culture war, but it'll have to continue uh, in the next show, Mike. Uh, I personally think the stupefaction of the masses, never mind altering their minds with mind-altering acid-type uh, uh, compounds, is a disaster and has been a disaster for generations of people. But hey, as Oscar Wilde said, we are, after all, two peoples uh, divided by a common language. Thanks, Mike, uh, for that call. And you are entitled to say up to a point, Lord Copper, that you did tell us so. It's all I've got uh, time for, except to ruminate on the show and the week uh, that we've had since the last Wednesday show. It's been marvelous for me. I hope it was for you. We've tried to do justice Uh, to the as yet incomplete American political process. The cost of getting elected people who will do nothing, change nothing, in many cases say nothing. In one case, in the case of the hapless Senator Fetterman, can say nothing. In the United States, they again elected to office a dead man, a man who died more than a month before the polls. They elected as a state treasurer somebody called Young Boozer. 
he inevitably looks quite a lot older than his age, but his name really is Young Booza. It's a funny country, the United States. I don't hate it. I have American blood in my veins. My great-grandmother was an immigrant from America to Scotland when millions were sailing to America in the opposite direction from Europe. Uh, many of my icons are American. One was mentioned earlier, Bob Dylan, but Muhammad Ali and all these great achievers in the United States, great writers. Uh, Mark Twain, I have all of Mark Twain's books on my shelves. Robert Frost, many miles to go before I sleep and so on. The idea that I am anti-American is perfectly absurd. I love Americans like Rashid in California, learned Americans, world-conscious Americans, Americans that realize that behaving like the biggest and most savage beast in the jungle merely reduces all of us to animals. It merely reduces all of us of our humanness. And I don't believe that God intended us to be animals or to behave like them. I believe that God gave us a conscience to know the difference between right and wrong, gave us empathy to be able to feel what other people are feeling and to respond to it and to be kind to each other. That's just my personal credo. I realize that I might not get there with you. But I have seen, I've been to the mountaintop, and I have seen the promised land. I have a vision of how the world can be, and I will continue to argue for it if necessary, to fight for it for as long as God gives me breath. Of one thing, I'm sure. The losers in yesterday's elections in the United States of America were the American working class, the American poor, huge numbers of whom didn't go to the polls at all. No amount of television advertising could encourage them to get off their sofa to go and vote for one cheek or other of the same backside. And that is the pool amongst whom people like Nick Cruz and Chris Hedges and Max Blumenthal and all my friends in America need to be fishing. A coalition of the downtrodden, of the oppressed, of the marginalized, the working class who have nothing to sell except their labor. This is the human material from which can and must be forged a new political power in America. We have no Eugene Debs. We have no Martin Luther King. We have no Malcolm X. We have no Bobby Kennedy. We have to find them. But above all, we need to do it, leaders or not. We have to make do with the leaders that we've got and make them better leaders by supporting them, by getting behind them 
and by encouraging them into action. I'll be back again, God willing, on Sunday at 7 p.m. UK time. Make a note of the difference in time, please. 7 p.m. on Sunday for the Sunday edition of the Mother of All Talk Shows. Thanks for everyone who supported the show, especially Ravi at 2.20 km and Together. Please support both of them. Download the apps. Visit the website. Good night. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.